Welcome to our latest series in Boss Big Corner with our newest partnership with Algonquin College. Being an Algonquin College Pembroke alumni myself, I am pleased to partner with Algonquin College Pembroke Waterfront Campus, featuring alumni who went back to school and are now excelling in different industries. Get a glimpse into what programs the college all offers, what former students' college experiences were like, how a specific program led to landing their dream job, and why you too should consider a career at this post-secondary institution. Let's dive in and hear how these successful alumni are making some incredible moves in their careers. Welcome to Boss Babe Corner, meets Algonquin College, Pembroke Waterfront Campus. My name is Megan Evans and I am an employee at Algonquin College's Pembroke Campus. I'm also an Algonquin College alumni. Located right along the Ottawa River, this is the perfect environment for anyone to study. We have over 20 different programs to choose from, which include programs in healthcare, trades, outdoor studies, social sciences, and technology. If you are interested in learning more about why you should come study with us, visit our website at algonquincollege.com Pembroke, or book a campus tour and come check out our amazing facilities. We can't wait to help you transform your hopes and dreams into lifelong successes. Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Boss Babe Corner meets Algonquin College Pembroke Waterfront Campus. And today I'm sitting down with Crystal Martin, President and CEO of Okpa Consulting, Algonquin College Pembroke Social Service Worker Alumni Class of 2013, and CAO and co-founder of Indigenous Geographic. But Crystal, I feel like I have so many more roles and titles that I could be adding to your opening bio here, but we're going to get into some of those little aspects and stuff. But it's been a hot minute. I last had you on the podcast back in 2021 for my very first international Women's Days, Women's Collective. I was trying to think. I'm like, what was it called again? But welcome back to OB Boss Babes. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. So Crystal, we're going to kind of dive into your career in education first. So when you were first presented with different career options, social work and business weren't exactly choices that immediately stuck out to you. In fact, I read that you actually wanted to go down the path to becoming a police officer or an RCMP officer but it was actually during your time completing your community service hours in high school where you made that career shift. So tell me how your path led you to pursuing social work at Algonquin College. Yeah, absolutely. I thank you so much for, for the question. Um, and it's so crazy to think that I could have been on a completely different plat path of, you know, being an officer of some kind. Um, but uh, it's, it's pretty incredible to, reflect all of these years on how coming back to Sanariak, my hometown, has transformed my life. Um, it wasn't just a career move. It was really like a like a, a personal awakening. And that's kind of the way that I have really been looking at it is from that perspective. Um, because when you're, you know, when we're kids, we have a completely different view of the world. We have a completely different lens on, you know, how we see things, how we feel about things and what we think. Um, and what's normal to us can be quite limited when you're a kid. And so returning home um, completely shifted my perspective on equity and human rights. Um, and even when I was in high school, you know, just thinking about that, it's not that I was thinking that, but I was feeling it. And like, it's only been after all of the year, these years that I've been actually been able to 
put into words what that actually means. And being back in my community really, I would say, broadened my horizon, uh, making me realize that Inuit representation um, in social work is vital. Um, there's an urgent need for justice in Inuit communities, um, Nunavut as well being my home, um, my home territory, uh, whether it's in infrastructure or uh, preserving our culture and language, um, addressing poverty, and, you know, and that's just to kind of name a few. Um, and, you know, throughout my, my career, um, it's really become a mission of mine. And, and I'm, that's something that I'm truly passionate about um, in bringing impactful changes to our communities. And, and that's all about, you know, uh, policies and it's all about education. It's all about awareness and it's all about really immersing people um, into the diverse um, traditions of Indigenous peoples across Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned, Crystal, that you're originally from Nunavut, and when you were in your teens, you actually spent time both in your hometown in Nunavut and in the Ottawa Valley. Now, seeing your community through a different lens than what you saw in the Ottawa Valley really opened your eyes to the support that children and families really needed. So if you don't mind being vulnerable with my listeners, just so that we could kind of understand what that experience was like for you seeing and hearing these personal stories firsthand, and... Mm -hmm. And how and why you wanted to implement change and be a part of that solution? Well, you know, I think, you know, as a teen, we all go through an identity crisis, you know, and um, and that's normal. You know, teens go through different phases. Um, they're going through different stages in their lives as well. Um, and at that time, I really struggled with who I am. Um, you know, I, I really struggled with that when I was a child in Hall Beach and Senariak, um, because, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a mixed uh, race family where my mom is Inuk and my dad is um, a, a non-Indigenous person with Irish and Scottish heritage. Um, and so having that experience in a small uh, community was certainly challenging. And then moving down to Ontario, now we're dealing with, well, now you're, you know, you're brown, um, you don't speak, you know, you speak a foreign language, you're not speaking English, um, you're mesmerized by all sorts of different things. And, you know, it was really a, a big adjustment um, going from one place to the other, but at the same time, the experiences of um, racism and discrimination um, was certainly felt this, between, you know, living in, in both um worlds, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, my journey to Nunavut um, in high school as a community um, social worker, so, you know, coming out of uh, college um, and then working in Ontario with Inuit um, and Inuit families across the province was undoubtedly the most challenging path um, that I've ever chosen, Um, you know, because being an Inuk, uh, we carry the legacy of intergenerational trauma that stems from uh, colonization and government policies. And um, Canada's system was historically designed to suppress Indigenous rights, um, and then, you know, if you look at all of that and, and experiencing that yourself, you have this 
deep understanding and empathy towards your people because you know where they're coming from you know Mm -hmm. the challenges that they are facing or have faced and will continue to face Mm -hmm. and it's through that that I really discovered uh, a profound gap that needed to be bridged Um, and that really was when my mission to learn how to navigate um, the system flourished um, you know, and, and I used my uh, education um, um, as a tool in understanding how to work with clients, how to work with communities, how to engage um, and supporting them through that. So that's all the things that I learned while I was in the social work program. And then throughout my professional um, career, I had gained a very large network of professionals from all across Canada, um, you know, not just in Southern Canada, but also uh, in the North and um, trying, trying to find a way of, okay, well, here's my education or educational experience. Here is what I have learned uh, through corporations, through organizations, and um, here's how they navigate. Having those conversations to begin exploring how we can dismantle um, the system. And um, it's been, you know, an uphill battle um, throughout the entire time um, because you're dealing with policies um, that are literally created um, to uh, suppress um, Indigenous rights and Indigenous cultures and language. Um, so it's something that I think we're all still working through and still navigating, um, but it's it's certainly been an incredible experience uh, participating in different initiatives um, and helping to create uh, effective and culturally safe policies um, in organizations, um, in corporations, mm-hmm. and now really looking at, you know, implementing uh, educational awareness um, to students across Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, Crystal, in order for somebody to define their voice and use their voice and use their platform to be able to bring awareness to all of these issues and barriers and challenges that, that Indigenous people are facing, they need to be able to see these experiences firsthand. They need to hear the stories from the people. And kind of kind of going back a little bit to your time when you were kind of going back and forth while you were in high school and you were you were doing your community service hours while you were in your hometown back in back in Nunavut, you heard the stories. You saw that what was happening. You knew that there was a need for social workers. But what were you seeing? What was the driving force that really stood out to you that you're like, there's an issue here and something needs to be done. Change needs to be made. Well, first and foremost, all of the houses um, that I grew up seeing in Hall Beach um, are still up. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, here in Southern Canada, you can have 200-year-old houses um, that people are living in. But in the North, it doesn't work. Infrastructure is so poor and so damaged by climate change. Um, And that's you know, one of the biggest things, because your house is supposed to be your safe haven, your house is supposed to be safe. Um, And walking into homes that are so badly molded, um, so badly um, run down, and then, you know, seeing cupboards and fridge and freezers completely empty, 
um, seeing violence, um, seeing addiction. And, you know, when you look at that, you don't see the danger in the individuals, but you see the pain right. and you see the hurt. Um, and um, I think that was like a, a big realization for me, seeing my own family. You know, you, I've talked to them numerous times on the phone. I would always talk to family members back home, and but you didn't see it. Mm -hmm. And especially since social media really wasn't a big thing when I was in high school either. Um, and, um, uh, but then going home and, and seeing that and seeing my own family, um, not have enough to eat, seeing my little cousins not have enough to eat or, you know, not having formula or not having enough, you know, baby food. And, and this is why it's so important, um, that, um, you know, people recognize harvesting rights, mm -hmm. um, and, and recognize that what we call country food, which is like, you know, caribou, um, uh, whale, seal, walrus, um, those are part of our food systems. And that is what is helping to sustain our communities today. And, um, but I, I would have to say it's, it was seeing my own family struggle, but be so humble about it and being so welcoming and happy and, um, you know, just such positive outlooks on life and, and it was hard for me because it's, you know, I, I'm, you know, sitting there or standing there and I'm seeing all of this and I'm like, you don't even have food in your fridge and you're smiling right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's this, just that little beacon of hope is all that they need. And really, I think that would have been one of my biggest, I, I have a bigger role to play and, you know, being an officer or, you know, a, an RCMP officer was really my ultimate goal was, you know, I really wanted to be um, in the North was I wanted to serve and protect. And that was, you know, my, my vision, my entire childhood, since I could remember, I've always wanted to be an RCMP officer. And that is, you know, really a way of helping. Um, but then seeing that I was like, there's gotta be something else. Um, and seeing family members in the child welfare system being removed from communities. And that's really when I, I knew that I had to get into the social work. Yeah. You knew that your purpose was so much bigger. Yeah. Crystal, it's interesting when you had said, you know, when you're on the phone with family members and nobody's saying anything, and we're just kind of painting this, this pretty picture of what our life appears to look like. And it's kind of interesting, you know, that it's kind of the same way with social media, that mm -hmm. it's all a highlight reel. We only show, we only show the the fun and, and pretty moments or, you know, where we're showing That's up right. and we're all dolled up and everything looks great, but you, you don't know what that person went through behind the scenes or is going through. And I'm really glad that we're progressing as society and we're having more open conversations and showing the not so pretty pictures. Mm -hmm. And um, one of those things actually that I kind of want to talk a little bit about to our, our suicide rates. Like that's something that's easily talked about. There's, there are stats out there, but to actually hear from pers people's personal experiences and, and talking about the extremely troubling and devastating pandemic that it actually is, especially in Inuit, 
um, with Inuit suicide rates, it's actually insane. So when I was like doing my research about it, I thought this is actually something that we really should be educating our listeners and, uh, and even myself on, on why this continuing epidemic of abuse has laid the foundation for suicide among the, uh, among the young and Inuit. So Crystal, why is that? Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you're asking about that. Cause my sister and I actually, um, we were just chatting about it last week. We lost count the number of people we've lost to suicide. Um, and you know, it's, we've, we were having some really deep conversations, mm -hmm. especially leading up to TRC day and, you know, the work that her and I are both doing and our different, you know, fields, but, you know, we both have lost count. We, we can't even count with our fingers anymore how many people we have lost to suicide. Um, and that's, you know, that's family. That's um, our cousins. Um, that's um, our friends. They may be community members, but they're part of our family. Right. You know, it's, it's truly disheartening to see that in Inuit communities, they're grappling with literally the highest rates of suicide in the entire world, the entire world. The population of Inuit in the circumpolar region is only 180,000. We're a very, very small population. In Canada alone, there's only a little over, you know, 75,000 of us in Canada. So we're, you know, very small. And the fact that we do have the highest suicide rates in the world is just it's it's crazy to think about mm -hmm. and it's crazy to think that this is not considered an epidemic um that this isn't there's no uh real solutions that the government is implementing whereas inuit um here in canada um have created strategies and have told um you know government um departments and agencies time and time again how they can fix this we're still not being supported on it. Um, and this painful reality um, can ultimately be traced back to the, de the devastating effects of colonization, uh, which includes you know, the attempted, attempted genocide of indigenous peoples through residential schools, um, through the 60 scoop, um, and now it's the child welfare system. And really, you know, these policies stripped indigenous children of their identities. Um, they tore families apart, communities apart, and displaced them from their roots. Um, and it's so heartbreaking to witness, you know, the, the staggering rates of suicide um, in Inuit communities, um, the mental health issues, the addictions, especially when you've personally experienced the impact of this within your own family. One, what we have been very vocal about within our communities is that we are in desperate need of healing and cultural programs that's rooted in our own values and, and principles that follows our traditions and reconnects um, youth to elders and elders to youth. Between Inuit communities, what we have been doing is working together um, and uniting each other. So there's four regions in Canada, um, four Inuit regions in Canada, and um, we work extremely close together. And that's where uh, they make decisions 
uh, they identify priorities. And those priorities are the driving force for change. And suicide is always, always at the very top of the priority list. And um, so they've been working really closely together, you know, through um, different ways because um, they're, they're Inuit have these agreements in place where if there's mining happening, uh, the the corporations are mandated um, to not just have Inuit employment and uh, Inuit-owned businesses uh, subcontracting to the project, um, but they also have what's called the Inuit Impact Benefit Agreement, also known as the IIBA. And uh, so a certain percentage, like if they're on, if they're built on Inuit owned land, they have to pay our land claim organization. And so a lot of that money is used to, like to uh, use towards healing and cultural programs and getting uh, communities connected to that because we've seen throughout COVID, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time I was on or not, um, but during the pandemic, when the world shut down, Inuit immediately shut everything down and they offered um, funding uh, for folks to go out on the land. Um, and uh, so with this money, they could um, like they can go to their their cabin um, with this money. They could use gas for their snow machine or for a wheeler or boat. Um, they would have money for groceries um, and it would be enough money for them to last two weeks out on the land. And during that time, our suicide rates dropped significantly. And for us, we then we we showed the government, Mm -hmm. you know, this statistic, the statistics of what we were seeing in our communities and how healthier our communities were because they were out on the land, because they were they were fishing, they were hunting, mm-hmm. um, they, they weren't tied to the internet, they weren't tied to their phones and their computers, they were out on the land, and they were living their life out on the land. And that connection is proof that when you re or when you bring back Indigenous youth into their culture and their traditions and their language and connect them to that, they have a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and they have a sense of uh, family. They have uh, a sense of connection. And those are all important aspects in everyday life for people. Mm -hmm. And so I I really do feel that, you know, the more healing and cultural programs, uh, the better it will be for our communities. Right. And, and Crystal, you are such a huge advocate towards inspiring and encouraging other young leaders to step forward, to use their platform, to boost the voices of Indigenous youth. And there, like you were saying, you know, there is still that need for youth centers and programming and on the land initiatives and Inuit communities. But why is it so important for young people to be advocating for these things themselves and be the pillar for change? I mean, it's not going to get done unless you put work into it. Right. And I feel that for so many years, I relied on other people to do the work for me mm-hmm. um, and for our people, um, you know, and just thinking, oh, this person is doing this kind of work and uh, they've been doing it for so many years now. Um, they know what they're doing. So if I talk to them, they're going to make change. Um, but unless you're putting in your full passion and your, you know, your sweat 
tears and your heart into it. That's just kind of the way that I've been thinking about those is that if I don't do it, then who, who will. Um, and I do really feel that, you know, indigenous youth, um, have a voice that is so powerful that they themselves have the ability to make these changes. You know, I, I've worked with Inuit elders, um, Inuit community members and Inuit youth pretty well across the circumpolar region. And one of the things that I have heard over the years um, is our elders say, it's time for us to step back. We're in a new world and it's time for our young people and our youth to step in. Mm -hmm. and to um, create the life that they want. And so you're hearing that more and more. And I think it's just a matter of being motivated and putting your your passion into it. Um, And that's how, you know, we'll be able to make change. Now, kind of circling back to your career, Crystal, after graduating, can you share with my listeners where your career path all took you? Because you knew of the challenges that people were facing in social services delivery in Nunavut. So how did you determine your role in advocating, educating, and helping folks in the North and beyond? I took so many roles. (laughs) Yes, you you did. (laughs) You know, but it's like social workers are so underpaid. It's ridiculous. Yes. Um, And, you know, and, and it's also impossible to find permanent uh, positions in the field, everything, every, if you look at like all these social programs and everything and their positions, like they're all contracts, they're all term because they're funded by the federal government. And so there's always an end date to them. And um, so even if an initiative is going really, really well, and it's so successful, it all depends on the government. It could get cut, you know, and it's, and that's the reality, but, you know, working in the child welfare for a short period of time. I didn't do it very long. It just, it was one of the most challenging things that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And it it mentally affected me. And then exploring the water, so to speak, and knowing that, you know, as a frontline worker, your voice may seem limited. Um, And at the time, I truly felt that. Um, And so I wanted to find ways of working up the ladder, so to speak. Um, How can I get into different positions, explore different fields to understand how the system works, really? Um, And went into, you know, the um, private sector. Never seen myself ever working in the private sector, but it was one of the most interesting careers I think I've took uh, because it allowed me the opportunity to travel across uh, Inuit Nunanga, which is Inuit homelands, and meet directly with community members um, in whether it was for hiring and training, um, if it was in the classrooms and delivering STEM initiatives in Inuit classrooms, um, to helping Inuit businesses open up. And so it really gave me this like array of opportunities to learn different fields um, and the various barriers that Inuit are facing. Um, And that just kind of trickled to, you know, different positions and exploring more and 
I, I knew that I wanted to be part of um, change. I just really didn't think it was going to take me in the path that it did. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for touching on that first initial point, Crystal, about contracts and part-time positions in social service work. It, there's such a dire need for it across the board, across across Ontario, across Canada. And it's just such an underappreciated career. It and really I think, is. Right? And coming from working in the private sector for a social services nonprofit organization myself, when you see what goes on with frontline workers, you applaud them every day and always, you know, and to see the great work that they're doing. And those are the people that should be highlighted and spotlighted and, and paid well, because they they are the front lines for change. They are making the difference. They were the ones that were showing up when everybody else was at home during the pandemic. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. We have seen the movement and the shift that frontline workers have advocated for people. Those are the change makers right there. Absolutely. Crystal, you then went on to launching your own business, Okpa Consulting. So share with us how you work with organizations and municipalities to identify issues and implement strategies to meet local needs. Not so much municipalities um, anymore. Um, the focus is is really about helping to build capacity in Inuit communities. You know, when I first launched Upi Consulting, I really didn't know what I, like, I didn't really have a vision. I just, I just knew I wanted to work with um, Inuit. Um, And, you know, I had just given birth to my daughter as well. Um, And so I was going through like this whole, like, you know, almost like a midlife crisis, you know, probably postpartum, whatever it was. But I, I had this like weird idea and this crazy idea of, you know, just quitting my full-time job and just doing my consultancy. And, and it was really about building capacity and it was really about uh, helping to, to um, change policies, making sure that Inuit organizations and Inuit communities uh, were receiving the best service um, that works for Inuit by Inuit. Uh, I came into a lot of situations where I would work with a non um, Inuk uh, consultant um, and the meaning's not there. So if they're doing community engagements, there's already a barrier because they don't speak the language. Mm. And there's already a barrier because they don't understand the hurt that communities are going through because of colonization. Uh, They don't understand, you know, what it's like to feel the pain as your culture and traditions is being ripped away from you. And so uh, when I launched it, that was really my ultimate goal was, you know, building capacity. And so over the years, I've been working with Inuit communities, uh, I mean, various government um, levels as well. Um, and uh, it's really about um, helping them strategize a plan that works best for their communities. So, I mean, municipalities, it's one thing, it's very local um, and it's, restricted to local. So if you're looking at here in Ontario, not many of them might really want, you know, things that's Indigenous specific, which I don't always do. Um, but that is my my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is good. If you are a local municipality here in Redford County or within the Ottawa area, it's important that when you are updating your plans, that you have a plan and how you are, are following the 94 calls to action. That is 
obligated by all levels of government by the Supreme Court of Canada. It's it's law to follow these and it's law to create these policies. It's law to make changes in your in your um, municipality that reflects um, the truth and reconciliation uh, calls to action. Mm-hmm. And so there's been some work that's been done with that, but a lot of my work has been more focused within UPI Consulting is uh, really building capacity. Um, so I've helped a number of uh, Inuit uh, businesses start that um, and uh, having them uh, work for me, uh, being mentored, learning the ropes of starting a business, of working with clients, project management, um, and getting them the the network that they need to build their business. Um, and there's just so much work out there and not enough Inuit consultants. So the more that there are, the better uh, our communities will be because then it's being done by Inuit. And also community engagement's a big component. Um, so because of all the travels that I've done um, in Inuit communities and, uh, of course, the role that I played with the National Inuit Youth Council, um, I've gained, um, you know, a, a pretty big family from communities. Um, and so engaging with them um, by somebody that they know and trust is so imperative to the success of programs, yeah. to the success of research, and to the success of our, our communities. Um, and uh, one of the things that we've really been um, advancing is also Inuit-owned, Inuit-controlled, Inuit-managed. And so when there's research being conducted in our communities, that data that's being collected um, is not only being analyzed, but it's being done by Inuit, mm-hmm. which is something that we ha- we never had that we're now starting to work on. Um, and so it's a lot of that, <laughs> really. It's a lot of just being the... Uh, the support for communities so that they can have, you know, more Inuit employment and more Inuit businesses. Crystal, ever since I was introduced to you back in 2021, I've been so inspired by your ambition, your your will to succeed and to keep going and to educate, like educate our community, educate the people around you. And you're unstoppable and you're not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> and one of the things that I'm really excited about that you're you're embarking on is that you and Matt LeMay have actually teamed up and together you guys have formed a new Indigenous education and video production company called Indigenous Geographic. So tell me and my listeners a little <laughs> bit more about the work that you and the team are doing to document Indigenous history and working with Indigenous communities, residential school survivors, governments, corporations, and non-for-profits. Yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy the way that it kind of happened. So I hired Matt um, during the pandemic. I was um, helping this uh, organization um, in reviewing and evaluating their entrepreneurship and leadership program for Inuit students or Inuit participants. And uh, so through that review and evaluation, Um, I made a recommendation that they really should look at hosting videos because if they're trying to do this from a hybrid style, especially during the pandemic, they need to have something that is, you know, that has somebody hosting a series of their, um, their curriculum. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're like, yeah, perfect. Why don't you do it then? And I was like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I actually know um, an indigenous filmmaker. Um, And uh, so anyways, I reached out to Matt and uh, that's how we started our conversation. Uh, We actually sat on the indigenous and continue to the indigenous education advisory council for the public school board here in Renford County. 
we ended up talking about climate change and we got like super heavy duty into the conversation and uh, that just kind of transpired us to um, talk about creating a docu docu series essentially uh, which is it's so happening soon. Like I'm so excited for it. So that's a conversation for another time. Um, and um, so, but we started talking about the underrepresentation of Inuit and Métis um, in Canada. If you look to try and find any resources, you, there's very limited information out there about Métis and about Inuit. Um, and we wanted to help amplify their voices, um, to help amplify their experiences, and to validate that their stories are so important, and their stories need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we capture a lot of hard stories, residential schools being one of them, and intergenerational survivors, and like, so we're really trying hard to amplify their voices, especially during the uh, people visit in Canada. Uh, so I was the event manager uh, for Iqaluit, and my responsibility was the Inuit experiences, Inuit uh, residential school survivors experiences during the Pope's visit to Canada. And I'm still processing that. Um, I'm, and I think that's probably like another conversation for another time. Um, but Matt and I were creating a um, documentary on on that specifically, and I, I happened to be called in by our national organization out of nowhere while I was interviewing the president, I, you know, of ITK, on this documentary we're working on about the Pope, and uh, yeah, they just kind of grabbed me and they're like, "We need you to be available at the the end of June." Uh, for a very important event. And I'm like, shut up. Don't tell me it's the Pope. And they're yeah. like, we need, we need you to event manage this. And I'm like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can do that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it took, it took me a week. I, I told her I had to think about it. And she's like, you have to think about this. I'm like, I have to think about yeah, it. You just need to like process this. Cause that's huge crystal. It's well, it's, it's, it's massive. And yeah. you know, and I, but for me, I just wasn't sure if I was in a position of being that person for the survivors. Mm. That's what I was worried about. Mm. I I wanted to make sure that if the Pope was coming to Canada, that the survivors were the priority and it was for yes. the survivors. And yeah, it took me a week and I just kept getting text messages. Like, have you thought about it yet? Like, are you going to take this? Are you going to take this? And Finally, I said, you know, I'm doing this for the survivors. I'm not doing this for the Pope. So if we're going to be planning this event in Iqaluit, um, this has to be solely run by Inuit. And uh, I need the leadership to to be on board with that and, and give me directions. And I will fight with the Vatican if I have to. <laughs> um, so it was quite the experience. Um, so those are the types of things that we're working on is capturing um, stories, truth-telling stories to bring justice to our communities. Um, so it's not just, you know, um, documentary films that we're working on. Uh, we do support um, Indigenous organizations in a variety of areas as well, and like communication or event planning and advisement and, you know, all of that fun jazz and, and also podcasting now and mm -hmm. just a slew of things that we're you know involved in and and again it's it also comes down to it's 
our our goal is to build capacity in our communities. Um, and it's bringing indigenous people's opportunities to gain transferable skills. Um, and so we, you know, anytime we go to a different indigenous communities, we'll, we'll bring somebody from the community on to work with us and they learn the ropes of operating a camera and, you know, all of that stuff and learn how to interview folks. And so it's, it's quite a rewarding, I don't even know the word to use. It's, just, uh, it's been a rewarding experience and journey for you. Yeah. It sure has been. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, Crystal, it's just been so inspiring to see you watch, like to see and watch you build your passion and dream and advocate for the people and giving them that voice that maybe they don't have. And, and like I said, just continuing to educate. And I really feel like we have made some progress. I'm not going to say a lot of progress because there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. The fact that we are only in year two of celebrating national truth and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Um, that's sad. And, um, I'm glad that the voices of the people are finally being, um, listened to. Mm -hmm. That's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Crystal, as we close in our conversation, I just have one more question to ask you. Why do you think more young people should be entering the social services worker program? I believe that there is so much hope that people need. You know, we live in a society where mental health and addictions is still stigmatized, um, where you know, people with different disabilities are still being discriminated against and uh, where, you know, kids don't have access to um, different recreational sports and recreational programming. And all of those fields are done by social workers. Most social workers that I meet are coming from their own, like they, they get into the field because of their own experiences, because they care about, you know, making sure that children, youth, adults have the access that they did not. And that's why they get into those fields. Most often than not is, has been my experience. And I feel like if you like a rewarding career and, a career where you can go into different fields, then social work is the program to take. Um, and you get to meet so many people from all walks of life um, that have their own unique story that brought them to where they are, um, their hopes and aspirations, and you know, being able to brainstorm with like-minded people to create amazing initiatives and programming in the community. Um, we just, we need more social workers, um, mm -hmm. especially in today's society, you know, even post pandemic, we need it more than ever. Um, we just need to fight the government to pay those yeah. social workers more. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Crystal, thank you so much for being a part of OB Boss Babes podcast. It was so great to connect with you and see, like I said, and hear all the great work that you've been doing. And I'll be following along and watching on the socials to see uh, all the continuation as well as your podcast that you're launching. You you just started doing some recording I saw today behind the scenes. So when can we expect uh, that first episode to come out? We're, we're aiming for this fall. I can't say any dates as of yet. Um, we're 
you know, in the process of um, doing interviews uh, with Indigenous peoples from all over Canada. Um, and uh, yeah, just follow follow along our social channels um, for the launch date. Um, some teasers are going to be coming out for that as well in the coming weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to launch it this fall sometime. And let's plug that too. So Indigenous Geographic on the socials, as well as your website, and how people can get in touch with you too, Crystal, because you do do some uh, some programs and workshops. You also do some motivational speaking too. I mean, what can this woman not do, people? <laughs> <laughs> no, but people can reach me uh, definitely on social media, uh, whether this is on Instagram or Facebook, um, along with um, both Indigenous Geographic and Upi Consulting's website. Um, uh, but yeah, follow us along on um, Indigenous Geographic's um, social channels. Um, easiest way to to get a hold of us because we're we're on the road quite a bit. Uh, but um, the social media is being monitored, so if I don't respond right away, at least somebody will ping me. <laughs> Well, babes, that's it for another week of OB Boss Babes podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of our tribe. If you're listening for the first time, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you're a regular listener, tell another biz owner how much you love our podcast. And who knows, maybe you or they might get featured next. Come back on Wednesday for our Boss Babe Corner mini-series for more entrepreneur features across the Ottawa Valley. This is OB Boss Babes.